This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes. Until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at UH1.com. The Talk Sport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered, too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18-plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, this is Hey Dude Shoes. This is an ad, but not for your ears, for your feet. Are they listening? Good. Hey Dude Shoes are the squishiest, airiest, lightest go-to shoes you'll ever have the pleasure of introducing your toes to. So light, a butterfly could steal them. So soft, kittens seethe with jealousy. So cushy, your hands will curse your feet for all the love and attention. Toes, you've hit the jackpot of comfy. Hey Dude. Good to go to. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average, and those savings add up. Imagine what you could buy in the future. Hey, remember how 20 years ago I switched to Progressive? Well, now it's the future, and I used all those savings to buy this new hologram phone. Because, you know, it's the future, and everything is holograms now. So switch to Progressive and save big, because those savings can add up in the future. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National annual average insurance savings by new customer surveyed who saved with Progressive in 2020. Potential savings will vary. Welcome again to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman. Joining me right now is Max Cohen. This is our post-match show of Fulham's 2-1 victory against Aston Villa in the FA Cup at Craven Cottage on Saturday. We have a lot to get through, but before I do anything else, I have to bring Max back onto the show. Max, you're back from England. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, it, was a, it was a great trip. Um, met great people. Met Dan Crawford. Of course, saw Emilio again. I met my great friend John Quinn. Somebody more met Dennis Adoy with Amelia. So I saw that. Great picture. Yeah, it, it was it was a great time on the pitch. You know, as I said, I got one of each result: win against Stoke, draw against Luton, and then loss against Reading. So, a taste of everything. Um, altogether, you look at the three matches. To only get four points in them is very disappointing. But then yeah. again, it was a special time to be over there, and the festive period is always great. So I can't complain. Um, and it was great to meet all those amazing people. That's great. And I'm glad that you got to meet Dan. Dan is a, a dear friend of mine. And then, of course, you were able to uh, meet up with Emilio again. And uh, it's just wonderful that you guys were together. Okay, my friend, let's look back at this victory in the FA Cup for Fulham against Aston Villa. And again, we've been doing this a lot. I'm going to use and talk about the head coach presser from Scott Parker as our jumping off point for some interesting talking points. And this is going to focus on several players. 
So let's start here because this player we've been talking about so much, Max, Michael Hector. And uh, I'm going to share what Scott Parker said after the match. We can talk about his performance as well. So let's start here. This is what Scott Parker said about Michael Hector, new center back for Fulham, making his debut. Quote, first class, Parker said. Quote, I think he executed everything right for 99%. He was maybe at fault for the goal, but other than that, I see a player. It's a shame we didn't do it on deadline day in the summer. We missed out on having him for four months. I think we saw a player today that we've needed at times this year. He brings character, a certain mentality. He's an aggressive defender, and he'll play a big part from now on, hopefully, unquote. Okay, those are some strong comments from Scott Parker after the match in regards to Michael Hector. So what are your thoughts about what Parker said and also your thoughts of the play of Michael Hector? The mistake. You can't look past the mistake, Russ. And I know Parker kind of had that comment about the 99% and the 1%. Well, no, that's that's honestly BS. It's not 99% well. I'd say it's probably 40% well and 60% poor. When you concede one goal and it's almost entirely Hector's fault, that's that's pathetic. I mean, we all saw what happened there. That was some of the most amateur defending I've seen in a really long time. Uh, just to misjudge the flight of the ball and and be so weak to let Kadra uh, just drift past him. I mean, I was honestly shocked. Um, and that wasn't the first time all match, you know. I think he really had a tough time with Jonathan Kadra off his back shoulder for large stretches of that game. And that, that was worrying. Um, but I, I think he started the match well. And he looked better in the air. He was like, he's an other presence. I think he's taller than both Moss and Reem, and seemed a little bit more aggressive. Um, now playing out from the back, I wasn't really sure if he had the passing range of of Reem, but I think certainly he's maybe better than Mawson. Uh And I, I was encouraged, but I think I keep have to going back to the error that led to the goal we conceded. That really could have cost us a match, and it's all in Hector. So I said this on Twitter that the most worrying sign is he seems to have a mistake in him. He, I mean, he does a mistake, and we saw it, and. That's what we can't have in, at, at central defense because both Mawson and Reem have shown that there's individual errors, that kills us. Um, and I know, of course, it's his first professional game since probably late May, right? Right. He doesn't play. He's playing under 23. He's, he's fit, but he's not 100% match fit in terms of, you know, first-team football. So I understand that. But I don't know how you feel about that, Russ, but it was very distressing to see. Just It's a very simple mistake to make. He just misjudged the fly of the ball kick like let the man go and it led to the goal it did max and uh we talked about this on full time and very interesting comment from uh scott tanfield he said that you know talking about the rust and i completely agree with that first match and like you said since may so i think it's understandable but he did make a mistake and we've seen this time and time again so that's why it makes a, a real impact when you see something that Fulham have been doing all season. With that said, Max, to be fair to Michael Hector, we did see some good moments. I saw him, I thought, very strong in the air. But again, it was, uh, it was a mixed bag. So what are your thoughts about beyond the mistake? Did you see good things that you were looking forward to seeing more of? Yeah, I mean, I did. I think he seemed more assertive. He seemed more aggressive. He seemed like a player, as Parker kind of said, with character. You know, he's someone who you can depend on at the back when it might get more physical. Um, 
And then again, I don't think we can't we can't really draw too many conclusions from this first game. To be completely sure. fair, it's against a very weakened Villa side. It's in the cup. He hasn't played in a while, so maybe I'm being too harsh on the mistake. It's just one way to look at it is this is a center back that people have been hailing for months now. Essentially, he's our savior. He's going to fix the Moss and Arun debacle. He's going to show up our defense. And when we concede the one goal in this match, it's essentially entirely entirely his fault. I mean, look at it that way. The heralded center back comes in, makes a massive error, leads the goal. That's not that's not good framing. But then you go also look at the Scott Parker framing, in which he says, you know, most of the match he was good. And right. I, I would generally agree with that. Most of the match he was good. But I think I, I might struggle with this. You know, we can't jump to conclusions. I sometimes might be too harsh on him. Let's wait and see and give him time. And I think if we give him time, I think he'll become a good championship center back. The question is, who does he replace? Moss and Areem. Well, that was going to lead me to ask you, how did you think he partnered up with uh, Mawson? Because I thought Mawson played fairly well. Yeah, I think, honestly, Villa didn't have too much in terms of attack, right? There, there weren't really any moments when they were truly under the cost from them. No. Part. So I think they did fairly well. It wasn't any calamitous mistakes except for the goal. Um, I think the two center backs had some trouble with Kaja for sure in terms of his physical presence and his good runs into the box that kind of let him go a couple of times. But apart from that, it, it was generally good. Um, but I don't know if Parker's going to continue this back four for the whole City game. That that could be the logical conclusion, but is that harsh on Reem? I don't know. It's a very interesting situation right now for Scott Parker. To be honest with you, I would go with Lawson and Hector against Hull City. That's just me. I, I would want to build on what you already saw, see if this partnership can flourish. Tim Ream has been struggling, so that's where I would go, Max. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Ream has been struggling. We've also seen Mawson struggle. Good to see he seems to be back from the injury he suffered um, a couple couple weeks ago in Stoke. So that's nice to see. And uh, I think it's good at least to have the kind of pressure, right? You always want right. in this situation when you have options because before it was just Moss and Ream, and maybe Adoy could play, but I don't think center back is the best position. And then maybe Lamarchand could play, but he's been injured for a while and also isn't that good. So it's nice to have another option back there. And, you know, we've seen it with the midfield. We bought tons of midfield right. players this summer, and we, need, and we thought at the beginning, where are these guys going to play? There's so many. And, of course, we needed them with injury and loss of the form. So going into the final stretch, I just think it's valuable to have Hector in there as a presence. I'm just concerned he won't be the savior many see him to be. But if he's just an improvement, I'll be okay with that. Okay. And – let me stress, one game. So let's yeah. see what happens, <laughs> Max. And I understand where you're going because you are reacting to what you just saw. But I also saw some good things. That's why I wanted to bring up the good and the bad with Michael Hector in his debut with Fulham. Okay, another talking point. We have to talk about the play of Anthony Knockhart, which I think has gotten better and better in the last few matches. So here are some comments from Scott Parker from his head coach presser about Anthony Knockhart. Quote, Fair play to Ant because we brought him in and he's got off to a slower start. I think he'd be the first to admit that. But the last three games, I think you're seeing the knockout that we're familiar with. Today, we saw glimpses of him with the ball, but I thought out of possession today, he was exceptional, unquote. Okay. We've talked a lot about Anthony Knockhart. I think you're really starting to see him grow into his role. You know, again, he was benched for a period of time. What are your thoughts about what Scott Parker shared and his performance against Aston Villa? 
yeah, I think it's remarkable to see where Parker's priorities are. And I think I actually agree with him, but think about it. The biggest storyline, I would say, from Knockout's match is his exceptional individual goal. One of the best goals I've seen all season. Yep. And of course, battered a couple minutes later by Arter, but would have been the goal, probably the season for us, if Arter hadn't done that amazing goal. But Parker doesn't mention that at all. What he mentions is the most exceptional thing, right? Is his off the ball work rate. And That's I think right. he's 100% right about that. You in can terms see of a, You can see it. And it's summed up, I think, a situation in the second half when Knockart lost the ball actually up the pitch. And then everyone would accept, expect a player like him to throw his hands in the air, maybe walk back to the ball, wait for the ball to come back to him in a couple of minutes, kind of sulk. But instead, he sprints back, you know, 60 yards into his own penalty area, into the right back position, wins the ball back, and then clears it. And that kind of summed it up for me uh, about Knockhart is that this is a player I think seems to have fire in his belly now. I saw it against um, Stoke. I think that's why I gave him man of the match. He's tracking back. He's fighting for the ball. And these, these aren't necessarily amazing things that should be lauded. It should be expected of most players. But to see it from a player like Knockhart I think is even more impressive given who he is, given who, what kind of his mentality has been. I think he's really buying into the team. He wants to prove himself. Whenever he makes a mistake, his first reaction is, let me rectify that mistake rather than to sulk. Um, and from a winger, right. from a winger like Knockhart, the fact that Parker has gotten that out of him is, is honestly laudable. I agree, Max. And it's interesting because I've had conversations with several people. Why aren't we seeing the player that won – championship player of the year just a few seasons ago. I think we're starting to see it, but for me, what's so encouraging, you already nailed it, it's the work rate. And the fact that he is not sulking, like you mentioned, he's buying in. Maybe it's taken a little bit, but I think it's finally getting through, Max. I think that's encouraging moving forward. It sounds like you agree. 100%. And then you also see the bad at Knockout, right, Russ? I think People are pointing to a situation um, in the second half. Superb run uh, to cut him from the left-hand side. Yep. He's still on goal, and he can do anything. I think he probably just should have put it near post simply and slotted it on the ground. People are mad he didn't square it to Stansfield. Yep. Instead, he just chips it a meek shot when he's the only man through um, right at the keeper. And he, that's what I think frustrates fans a lot because he can do everything right to a moment. And then – he just kind of loses the plot. And that's what you're going to get with him. He's inconsistent. But we saw the moments today when he was brilliant. And as long as I think he tracks back and understands when he loses the ball, he's a responsibility to win it right back and start another attack. I'm okay with that. You know, wingers should be able to try something special and take risks. That's some philosophy I have. Why I hate, I hated someone like Shirla, who I thought was lazy and never actually tried to do something. <laughs> why I prefer people like Kamara, who yep. might be erratic, but at least make, might make something special happen. Yeah. I'm okay with that. As long as those players understand that if what they do doesn't work out, they have a responsibility to help the team and get back in position and get the ball back, totally fine with me. So that's why I think I'm a little bit more sympathetic to knock art. Um, and hopefully we can see this form carry on in the league now. Hopefully. And uh, that's great because, again, I, it's very noticeable when you watch it and you're seeing him, his movement and his work rate is um, – up there, and that to me is encouraging moving forward. Okay, talk about encouraging. I think this is a big deal with what we're about to talk about. It's Harry Arter returning to the team. Now, I started hearing about this last week that he was training with Fulman. I thought that was encouraging. He's been out since mid-October, Max, 
Fulham have missed him. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Here are comments from Scott Parker after the match about Harry Archer, and I think uh, you'll find them interesting. This is from Scott Parker. Quote, for Harry, he's been out for three months, worked hard, long, and lonely days when you're injured for some time. To come out and score the winner just justifies everything when you've had those lonely days. Unquote. Okay. So that's focusing on him coming back in the side. He literally just got on the pitch and scores an incredible goal. But I think his impact goes far beyond the goal. The goal puts Fulham through, but I think there's more to talk about in regards to Arthur than just a goal. It's his impact in that match and moving forward. Your thoughts, Max? For sure. And, and the one thing we saw from Arthur almost immediately after stepping onto the pitch that I hadn't seen in months, honestly, since he was injured, was those cross-field passes. Yes. I mean, what Good a point. I mean, and of course, one of them led to the goal. That's Boy, if we missed goal. that. <laughs> exactly, because the main concern I had, and the main concern anyone who watches Fulham has as well, is when we're in the attacking third, there's, it's static. There's nothing. Where's the big switch? standing still. Where's the big, exactly. And, you know, what, what you learn even as, as a kid playing, playing football is that you switch the ball. You get the defense moving. That's how you create gaps, right? But the way we do it, with, without order, and for months previous, center back to center back to left back, right the way across the back floor, same in the midfield, slow passes, one each way. And when you do that, and you switch the ball you know, in four passes instead of one, the defense, it's easy for them. They don't actually shift as much. They shift slower, and there are no gaps. When Arter does it, I mean, a 40-yard cross the pass, superb right to the winger, then the defense moves. Then it's quick. Then it's penetrative. And then they have to react quicker, and that's when gaps appear. It's what the teams are crying out for. Yes. It, um, it's, 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 that's a godsend. I mean, people talking about Hector as a savior. Sure, but what about Arter? This is a guy who came in, was held as a good signing, kind of fell out of favor before his injury. But I think he has the potential to revolutionize the way we, we attack. Because you saw the difference as soon as he came on from McDonald. Oh, player who's The definition, definition of a midfield metronome, just kind of pass, 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 short passes. Not really trying anything special. Arter's in there. You know, splaying these crossfield passes, scoring thirty-yard bangers. He's not going to do that every week. But the point is, he brings something—a little something special in the final third, which was completely absent. Um, you know, when he was gone. Completely agree. I'm still a little nervous about his uh, fiery attitude, but uh, we'll see how that all <laughs> plays out. But if he can keep that under control, he could be a huge asset to Fulham. And uh, the announcers were talking about the difference between having McDonald in there and having Archer in it. And it goes, like you said, beyond the goal because he was affecting the play, affecting how Fulham looked for the rest of the game. Because Fulham were really dominating the play, even after the goal. Yes, Aston Villa had their moments, but still had a lot more to do with Fulham. And I think Harry Archer had a lot to do with that. Okay, Max, final talking point is something I was hoping we would see. I wanted to see this player. Wanted to see Jay Stansfield. I've been following what he's been doing with the under-18s, which has been exceptional. So when I saw his name included in the uh, 18 overall, I was thinking, would Scott Parker play him? I hope he plays him. Here's an opportunity. And he does play him. He comes on as a substitute. This is what Scott Parker said about Jay Stansfield after the match. I find it very revealing. Here it is. Quote, 
He's been scoring goals in the under-18s, training with us for the last week, and he's one which we brought in and had full belief in. Like a lot of players since I've been in charge here, whether it's Harvey Elliott, Mark Rodak, Matt O'Reilly, they give you something different, these young players. And it's something I firmly believe in. I was a 16-year-old kid once who was desperate for an opportunity to prove myself. And I certainly won't be looking any further than the academy here to bring in and bleed these young players and give them every chance to make a name for themselves at their club. There will be many more appearances from Jay, and he deserves his moment tonight, unquote. That last part is the part that stands out to me, Max. Your thoughts on what Scott Parker shared about Jay Stansfield and his performance in this match, which I thought was incredibly encouraging. It, it, Russ has gone encouraging, right? I think he could be the future very well. I mean, this is a 17-year-old, 17-year-old guy coming on for his first appearance, and he looked right at home on the pitch playing against the Premier League side. His pace, his runs down the channels. I mean, his superb ball across for Knockart. I don't know how Knockart didn't tap that in, but for, I mean, I'd imagine if I'm 17, I'm coming on an FA Cup match, it's kind of, the match kind of finally poised 2-1, I'd be amazingly nervous. This guy seemed like he was right at home and, and wasn't only comfortable, was actually you know, dangerous. Looked like he could score, looked like he'd make things happen. Was pressing the center backs, used his pace, his energy, to pop around and Parker's comments so great to hear and I think using his own personal experience as an ex-footballer as an ex-young player broke through the team Parker's a very valuable resource of Fulham he trusts the academy a bunch of people have been making points on Twitter that we had a bunch of managers who didn't trust the academy um, in in previous years Uh, not Slavisa but people could say Mark Hughes or Martin Yo who supported older experienced players and you could argue that got us into a relegation mess back in 2013 when we had a very old squad. We didn't have those young players. Parker's somebody who's going to respect the academy. Just look at the players on the bench, you know, O'Reilly, De La Torre, uh, Stansfield, right. um, Rodak, another academy graduate. We have a great academy and we're using it, and every fan likes to see that. But I just want to ask you, ask you this, Russ, because one thing happened after the match, which on Twitter between Fulham and Exeter City, and Fulham tweeted out essentially, great to see another academy graduate. <laughs> um, make his debut. And of course, Stansfield's only been in the Fulham Academy since this August. We bought him That's from right. Exeter. He developed, in all fairness, at Exeter City. I'm right. sure he's made strides at Fulham. But Exeter kind of had a right to be offended that we would kind of claim Stansfield as our own. What, do you, and do you think this is almost like a Harvey Elliott situation? Of course, we're not Liverpool, but to Exeter City, we might see him closer to Liverpool in terms of the stature of a club, a bigger club going in and buying a very talented, you know, 16, 17-year-old. What are your kind of thoughts on all that? Because he, he's not a Fulham guy born and bred. He's not a Ryan Sessegnon, you know, Stephen Sessegnon, no. right? No, but I'm glad that you brought up Harvey Elliott because uh, this is part of uh, the business of football, Max. Mm-hmm. Young players. You're trying to bring young players in. You are scouting young players. And uh, I wanted Harvey Elliott to be a Fulham player but he had aspirations that were larger than Fulham, so he goes to Liverpool. And even though it hurt, I would rather him go because he didn't want to be here. In the case of Stansfield, he's coming here, so he wants to be here. I understand Exeter City. I understand how they're feeling about it. But if he still wanted to be there, Max, he'd be there. So he might not be one of our own, 
But I'm not against us doing what other clubs do, what other Premier League clubs do. They look for talent and they just don't bring them in from the, the very young ages. They find them from other places. So, yes, they found this player from another club and they brought him in. It's his decision to come here, just like Elliot. So I understand where you're going on that, but I don't have any problem with Fulham doing that. And I don't have a problem with Liverpool doing what they did because Elliot didn't want to be at Fulham long-term, even though I wanted him here. It hurt, but that's his right. He's looking to better his career, just like Stansfield is. For sure. Yeah, and I think that you're right. As you said, you signed up perfectly, and if that's the business of football. It's yeah. not pretty. You know, play, teams lose players they've nurtured from the age of nine in their academy who they feel might be loyal to them. But when a big club comes knocking, you know, when Fulham comes knocking to Exeter or Liverpool to us, at the end of the day, the players are going to choose a bigger move or most likely going to choose a bigger move. So that's what happens. Um, and hopefully he will play a lot for a first team here. I think that's kind of the main reason you make a move. You see an opportunity to break into a first team in a better squad. Harvey Elliott, fair play too. I think a lot of people gave him a stick this summer. I certainly did. Yep. Saying, what are you going to the champions of Europe for? You're never going to play. And Klopp has played him a lot. Let's he be has, honest. Actually. He just made his uh, Premier League debut for Liverpool. I of course, saw him come on. the Premier League. Yeah. Um, against Wolves. He started that League Cup game against Villa when they had yep. the whole youth team playing. He's gotten a lot of looks in the first team that I don't think necessarily I expected him to have as a 16, 17 year old. And then let's talk about Sessignon, right? I never thought Brian Sessignon would get a minute under Mourinho. And he started around two or three matches for him. Yeah. Scored in the Champions League. So. Maybe it's a lesson for us. You know, we always, I always want to be bitter, vindictive when a great young player leaves us for a better team and use the mantra, great, good luck developing when you're on the bench. But I think we've seen kind of this season that maybe you can actually get some opportunities at a big team when you're a young player. And it's not necessarily riding the bench all the time that we'd expect. Right. You know, again, there are two sides to this. You have players that are – Given that opportunity, I didn't expect Elliot to get it so soon. He's getting it with Klopp. Sessignon, I've sh- been shocked that he's getting it under Mourinho, but he is getting it, so I'm glad about that. I'm glad for both of them that they're getting the opportunity. The other side is Patrick Roberts now mm. at Middlesbrough, okay? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so think about him, uh, Emerson Hyman at Atlanta United. So mm. there's the other side of this. You know, again, I see both sides of it. Some players just want to move on, and they move on. Sometimes the grass is greener in the case of Harvey Elliott and Ryan Sessian. Sometimes it isn't. So it's a tough decision for these players. It's a tough decision for Fulham, and the other teams bring them in. But, um, you know, again, that's, um, again, the business of football. And uh, it hurts, Max, when you lose some of these young players. But... If we're going to get players poached, then why can't we poach as well? And that goes back to Stansfield. So I don't have any problem with it. Certainly, yeah. I think it's it's also good to bring up. Yeah. It's not always you, – you have the players who fail. The Roberts, of course, never really made it. Hindman, likewise, is back in MLS. So what does that tell you? Yeah, exactly. You know, again, Hyman wanted to play in the Premier League. So did Pat Roberts and – it didn't work out for those guys. You know, again, they had, I think, a few moments. But beyond that, it didn't work out. 
and in some other cases, it's already working out. So it's, uh, you know, again, 50-50, I don't know. I mean, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And that's just something that we have to deal with because it's uh, the business of football. Okay, my friend, coming up, we're going to talk about the starting 11 and the 18 overall. Go over the match and end with talking about the stats and, of course, man of the match. Okay, Max, quickly, let's talk about this. Your thoughts on the starting 11 and the 18 overall, also the formation form used. No, I still don't really know what it was, Ross, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, on paper, it's a 4-3-3. But you look yeah. at the front three, and what do you have? You have Knockart. You have a left-footed player playing right wing. You have Cavallero. You have yep. a, essentially a right winger playing center forward. And you have Joe Bryan. And you have Joe Bryan. A left back playing left wing. So none of those players are really in position. I was like, what is Parker thinking here? No striker, of course. Mitrovic completely out of the squad. Your only other center forward is Stansfield. So we don't have many options. So that was odd. And then the midfield three, I think, nice to see McDonald back. Just signed a new contract. He's captain. Um, in, alongside Onamout. Again, good to see him back in Johansson. No Kearney again, completely out of the squad. Uh, Harrison Reed, completely out of the squad. So, again, weakened in there, but also good to see some players return. And then the back four... And in the end, Christie ended up playing almost where Brian was. Christie was almost a right winger. So I think people are making the argument right. that maybe the, the formation really was three center backs, Hector Moss and the Doy, and then it's almost kind of like a three, and then Christie and Brian are playing as your wingbacks. But certainly not the way Fulham lined it up. It was 4 3 on the website, 4 3 in the formation. I know, I'm looking at it right now. Um, and I never really understand what the purpose is. They get that from Parker. The opposition team, are they look, is Villa kind of looking at a little tweet thinking that's how they're going to play? Of course, because it really wasn't how it lined up. So I don't know who they're fooling, but that's how it was. And to say the least, it was odd. Yeah. You know, I think we struggled a lot with Cavalier as a false nine. He doesn't play center forward. It showed. We miss Mitrovic. That's how we the normally play. The about that frequently. Yeah, 100%. But, you know, towards the second half, it paid dividends. And I'll give credit yeah. to Parker because it was kind of half the weekend squad half-strong squad. Um, not really what I expected. Yep. I expected a lot more of the weakness because we have. To, I think priority has to be promotion, but I think it worked really well. And I'd rather get the win now you know, than rest a bunch of players and get thrashed. I think it gives a good confidence boost, and yep. um, it showed we can play a different way. Yeah, it's interesting because, again, I don't know if this was gamesmanship like uh, we see here in the U.S., you know, putting out something and – for the other team to see, and then maybe, you know, the match starts and it's different, but it was uh, very strange. That's why I wanted to yeah. bring that up, because when yes. I saw it posted as a 4-3-3, I'm like, what is this? But, you know, again, very interesting, fascinating from Fulham Football Club. And uh, listen, it's an FA Cup match, and I was fine with the decisions of who played, who didn't play. I wanted to see some of the youngsters get, uh, come on, and we did see Obviously, Stansfield and Luca Della Torre, which is nice to see again. He's playing a little bit, so that's nice. Okay, Max, let's get into talking about the first half, maybe just a minute, because there really isn't a lot to talk about. I thought it was really just a bland first half and uh, really not much action, except at the very end of the first half. That's where I want to focus on, because Merrick Rodak made a great save to end the half. I think that's key for what happened in the second half, Max? Really, real quick, your thoughts on the first half? Because I don't think there's really much to talk about 
And then your thoughts on the save by Rodak. First half is kind of indicative of our season, you know. We actually had the bulk of possession, but I cannot think of one time I actually troubled an island in the Villa goal. Some nice passes, nice interchange, but it seemed like the final ball was always elusive. But then again, we weren't too threatened either. And so, as you mentioned, that great save by Rodak, honestly, you're right, that could be a turning point because if you go in the half one nil, it's very different. But the ball comes across, and no one's picking up El Ghazi. He's through on goal. It seems certain he'll yep. put that in the back of the net. But I think almost what he does, he telegraphs what he's doing. He opened up his body to hit that with inside his right foot and pass into the right-hand corner. And Rodak, to his credit, realizes it very quickly and pounces. Uh, it's a great one-handed finger save. Uh, and that was really the last action of that first half. So could not have done any better. Rodak wasn't called on very much in this match to make saves. But when he was, I mean, he stood very well. Um, and I think mean, that that also was a massive miss from El Ghazi because he was totally free. That's one instance the kind of back four went completely missing. No pressure on him. But again, superb save. And to go in the half nil nil was a big bonus for us. Absolutely, Max. Very good point. Okay, let's talk about the second half. Obviously, there's a lot more going on in the second half. It starts off early on in the 46th minute. You have a shot by Narkart that just goes wide. And then we're going to go right to talking about Narkart once again. We've already talked about his improvement the last few matches that Scott Parker was talking about. We have to talk about this goal because he has it in him to score these goals. But I think why he is not right now in the Premier League is that he doesn't do this often enough, and I don't think he's consistent enough. I think that's the difference between why he's with us and not in the Premier League right now. But this goal is Premier League quality. Your thoughts on the opener for Fulham? Top class, as you said. He actually had a similar shot to this a couple moments before, which just fizzed wide. And I think that was on his mind when he got the ball here. You know, I give him a lot of stick for playing in the right wing because he's always cutting inside and there's no wit. But this is the one instance where it worked like a treat. Uh, he actually went past, you know, two or three players here. He kept cutting in and, and cutting out. And all on the left foot, of course, as Nagrat does. But he sets that personal into his inside his left foot, curls it top left-hand corner from, you know, the edge of the box and the right-hand side. It was a, a thunder, a thunder, thunder strike of a goal. Uh, the college erupted. And I'd say almost similar position from that Cavalera goal against Charlton. Except that one went near post and was more power. This one went far post, uh, upper left. And that was a great combination of curl, pace, um, knuckling to that top corner. Uh, and, you know, he deserves that, I think, Knockhart for all that bright attacking play and good defensive work rate he's done recently. Okay, excellent. All right. And Fulham almost make it 2-0. In fact, I think should have scored. They had a couple of opportunities a few minutes later. Cavalero sets up Brian for a nice shot. It's saved by the goalkeeper, and then you have the situation after that where, again, it's saved off of the line by the defender, and again, it looked like a great opportunity for Fulham to go up 2-0, and as we always to deal with, uh, I should say, more often than not, it comes back to bite them, Max, and it does because they get the goal. We're talking about Aston Villa from El Ghazi, but this is, has a lot more to do with Kaja. It's really, as I said on, on full-time, this is more like a tap-in at this point for El Ghazi, but um, we've already talked about this. This is on Michael Hector. So briefly, let's talk about the equalizer. Yeah, um, it's, it's just a very quite simple shift ball um, over the top. And from the initial standpoint, Hector keeps Kaja onside. He's 
not really up on the high line. He, he's behind him. So in that instance, but he never really got goal side. Even though he kept him on side, he's never goal side. And he tries to step in front of the ball to clear it, but it's a weird, weak kind of half clearance that doesn't even make contact with the ball. Very, very easy for Kadra just to step in front of Hector, get behind him, um, and chip the keeper. Could questions be asked of a Rodak here? Does he come out well enough? Is this a bit of a weak goalkeeping decision? Perhaps, because I don't think it was the best chip. Uh, maybe Rodak should have done better. But anyway, it chips him, it's over him, and El Ghazi taps him from you know two millimeters out. If I'm Kaja, I'm furious with El Ghazi for that, because he just stole his goal completely. Um, that was really the only thing El Ghazi did all match. He was terrible. So I think uh, Kaja is very hard done by there. But uh, again, you know, we didn't take our chances after going up one nil up, could have been two nil up, as you mentioned. Comes back to bite us, but we weren't clinical. And at this point, I think Villa probably thought, you know, hey, we haven't been good, but we're in the match. Why can't we go in and win it? Um, right. Because we look there for the taking, honestly. Okay. So at that point, it's 1-1, and then they had a really good opportunity to score, saved by Rodak on Yota. So it keeps it at 1-1, and then Harry Archer comes on, and we have the wonderstruck from him in the 74th minute. Let me ask you, is this a better goal than the Narkar goal? I'd say yes, actually. Um, 100% yes, actually. Because it's it's the whole movement, you know? It's the whole passing move, which starts, of course, with Arter playing that lovely cross of pass um, right to the right wing. So he starts this move and finishes it, which is why I th- say this probably edges it. And also, this is a technique on the strike cross. I mean, the knuckle, the dip, the curve. There's a great angle from behind the goal where he just you can see him strike across it and the ball just float up in the air and then drop perfectly right beyond Nyland's grasp into that postage stamp of the top left-hand corner. And considering the entire situation, right, Arter hasn't played since October. Uh, he just comes on probably four minutes before this happens. He plays that cross the ball, continues his run, touch, touch out his body, hit, top left-hand corner. I don't think you can score a better goal than that, honestly, and in a better situation for the winner in a cut match, your big return from injury. I think it's a perfect, perfect goal to score. Totally agree, and I think that the match changed when Harry Archer came on. He really was an impact beyond the goal. We already talked about that. Then a little bit later on, I want to talk about the significance of Jay Stansfield coming on the 80th minute for Josh Onama, and uh, he made an impact. I thought he was extremely lively. We've already talked about Stansfield, but we do have to mention, I have to mention, the great cross. You've already talked about this in the 89th minute from him that, again, Anthony Knockhart, great opportunity for him to score there. I don't know how he didn't, like you said, but so encouraging from Stansfield. And then Knockhart later on is one-on-one with the goalkeeper and doesn't score there either. And this goes back to Anthony Knockhart played very well, and I think many have him as their man of the match. But I think that, again, we're seeing the good and the and the bad of maybe why he is in the championship with us, as I've said prior, my friend. All right. Just overall thoughts on how we uh, saw off this match and move on in the uh, FA Cup. You know, we weren't actually too bothered in the six minutes of added time, uh, which I think was nice to see. Uh, and it's always going to knock off a Premier League side, especially Villa. We had this odd sort of... Um, I wouldn't call it a rivalry. It's definitely not a derby atmosphere, but a competitiveness yeah. in the history back to the playoff final and all that. And of course, they in the Premier League were not. 
you know, we want to be there They're in the promised land. So we're jealous of them, but we got one over them here. And you ask anyone, I think, before the match, you know, whether they really want to go on a cup run. And I think people would have said yes, but in their hearts, they would have been like, probably not because everyone got to realize the cup run will detract from your form in the league. Right. It will make players more tired. It will maybe distract their mentality. If you have a big match coming up in the cup, maybe your league form suffers. And of course, in the championship, when you have these midweek matches, you need every rest you can get. But honestly, I want a cup run, Russ. You know, there's a, there's a great poll on Twitter, which is, do you want a cup run or promotion, right? And I was, I was talking to my dad. I said, I want a cup run. He said, you're crazy. You should get promotion. <laughs> win a cup win in the Premier League. But, you know, we've never won a major trophy as a club. And if the opportunity presents itself, you know, I would take it, honestly, instead of promotion this year. Um, Interesting. Where do you stand on that? Oh, I'm still about promotion. I, I understand yeah. where you're going on. I can't still can't get over the Europa League final. You know, the history is coming back up about that because, obviously, you're looking back at the decade prior. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I understand it, but I want Fulham back in the Premier League. I'm not against a cup run if it becomes – a help to the league, meaning that they get into this winning mentality. If that helps them, I'm fine with it. I'm not against it if they manage it correctly, but it can be a distraction, Max, as you're saying, with all these matches. So it has to be handled correctly. If it's handled correctly, it could actually benefit Fulham. But that's up to Scott Parker and his staff to manage it correctly. But I'm not against the run, but promotion is definitely more important to me. Okay, my friend. Let's finish up by looking at the stats, and then I'll get your man of the match. Let's look at the stats. Interesting stats here. Possession. Again, let's take this into consideration. Fulham are playing a Premier League side. They were resting a lot of players, so were Fulham. But possession was at 57% to 43% in favor of Fulham. Total shots, 17 to 9 in favor of Fulham. On target, 5 to 3 in favor of Fulham. Corners, even at 3. Crosses 20 to 15 in favor of Fulham. If I go a little bit further in, this one's interesting. Passing accuracy, 83% for Fulham, 81% for Aston Villa. And that just shows because they are a Premier League side that you're going to see more quality from them. Falls, even at nine. Okay, my friend, what stands out to you from the full-time stats? And you look at possession, shots on target. Um, those are the big ones stand out to me. And we edged it. We were the better side. Yeah. They were just poor, Russ. You know, they had their goal, yes, but it came off a mistake from us. I can't think of any moments except for maybe after they scored their goal when they had any sustained pressure. They were really poor. They offered very little attack. Their defense wasn't great. Um, we did, to be fair, the goals they scored were absolute world, worldies. There's not much you can do to stop them. It wasn't as if we – but there, we had many more chances to score. Could have a lot more than 2-1 uh, towards that final 20 minutes. Right. So that was kind of one of my main takeaways, kind of bolstered by the stats. We were just a better side. We deserve this. We did. And uh, I've heard the argument about how Aston Villa rested a bunch of players. I'm looking at the players that played. And, yes, they definitely did. But you have players there that are good enough to play not only in the championship, but I think also in the Premier League. You know, you have players that have been around and about. Even someone like Henry Lansbury. Uh, Yota we saw in in the uh, championship. Kaja we've seen in the championship. So I don't want this excuse that they rested all these players. Fulham were the better side. Just let that go. If someone says that, 
I disagree with that because Fulham rested players too. Enough of that. We understand what it is. And don't tell me Aston Villa didn't want to win the match. Of course they wanted to win the match, just like Fulham did. But again, is it the biggest priority? No. They still want to win the match. And they have quality players, even resting all the players that they did. Okay. Let's end with your man of the match. Who was your man of the match? It's a tough one because I'm going to give it to Harry Arder, which is something a bit odd to say for someone who's only done the pitch, you know, 20 minutes. But I think combination with his goal, his attacking play, the range of passing he showed, and just, you know, the turning point. When he came on the pitch, I think the side just played so much better in that attacking third, which is such a relief. He was a breath of fresh air. It was great to see him back from injury. And he was a game changer for me, of course, the match winner. And it's going to have to be the returning man, Harry Arder. Okay, excellent. I'm actually going to go with Knockhart because I thought Knockhart goes back to what you were saying earlier and then what Scott Parker shared, basically talking about how he was uh, off the ball and the way that he actually worked so hard with his work rate and obviously scores a great goal. So I'm going to go with Anthony Knockhart. Okay, great show, Max. Listen, we're going to have a lot of – Interesting shows coming up. We have some great ideas, maybe some special guests coming up. So there's a lot to look forward to with Cottage Talk coming up in the future. Just want to mention that. And I want to thank everyone for listening to Cottage Talk all these years. This has been going since 2011. I have some wonderful co-hosts, and uh, it's just been a pleasure to do. Max, before we go, just want to thank you for doing the show so many times and being a part of uh, something that I, I love very much. Well, thank you, Russ. As you know, the pleasure is all mine. It's an honor to be on the show every week. And, you know, looking back in the 2010s, you know, that was a decade where my love for Fulham really started. 2010 yep. was the year I moved to London, became a Fulham season ticket holder. Of course, ushered in the era of right after the Europa League triumph, probably our golden era, kind of 2010 to 2012 in that Premier League. Uh, then the relegation. But you look back on that decade we just had, and it was had its ups, had its downs for sure. But here we are now, and think about Fulham. Yes, it's about the team on the, on, on the pitch. Yes, it's about the results. But the best thing about Fulham for me is the community, and nothing yeah. is exemplified more than that than the college talk community. Yeah. People like yeah. you, you know, Fulham legend, who dedicate so much time each week to putting out this amazing product, the amazing listeners who tune in and spend their time listening to us talk. Always, is, I'm so appreciative of them. And it really meant a lot because I went, you know, after the match against Reading to with Dan Crawford, another legend, Hammy and legend, yep. went to the Chancellor's Pub in Hammersmith, met his mates, and they all said to me, and that meant a lot, how much they appreciate the work you do, Russ, the, the beautiful baby you started here in Cottage Talk, and I appreciate the insights of all the co-hosts. And that really meant a lot to me, that there are people out there who listen, who care, and who appreciate um, the effort we put in. And, of course, we do it all for them, <laughs> all for the fans. Well, that's great. That means a lot. And uh... – like I said, Dan Crawford is a, a dear friend, and uh, it's nice to hear all that because, um, like I said, we've been doing this for a very long time, and Dan's been a part of it as well. And uh, it just is uh, satisfying that we keep doing this because we do it for the love of uh, Fulham Football Club, and I'll just continue to do it, and I have some great people that do it with us. As we're all in this together. All right, great show, Max, but it is time to wrap up this episode of College Talk. For Max Cohen, I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you as always for listening to Cottage Talk. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. 
all your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.